We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 46, Food on a Warming Planet. Your favorite podcasters are back talking about food and climate change. It's what y'all love. Yes, Mother Nature is um, freaking the fuck out because of us burning fossil fuels. Truly. That was a great, a great starting <laughs> point. Yeah. Um, but on a lighter note, how are you, Kate? I, again, when was the last time I saw you? I don't know when we were eating babka on the fucking bench in McCarran. That was like the last time I think I saw you IRL. Yeah, Babka on the Bench, our album coming through soon on, on SoundCloud. Babka on the Bench, Zoe in the Park. <laughs> I fucking hate us. Did um, Pete and I um, pivot and become what um, SoundCloud rappers? Yeah, to fund our lifestyles, let us know that we need help. Um, maybe, sure. maybe we have like um, like a rap battle for Patreon. Right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, my day's been good. I've been really busy, which has been good, but I feel like I haven't like, I don't know. I feel chaotically all over the place. Um, I went on a run that I met up with, like, this was like social day and I'm like stressed because I'm like been a socialite and I hate people. My battery's gone. Then you've been going out to things. Yeah. Being a true 22 year old. Unfortunate. Um, I went on a run, my own run. And then I realized like, oh, this TikTok guy named Marcus, I don't know if anyone would follow him that listens to the pod. It's definitely at an overlap was like hosting a run. And so I texted at him. I was like, I'm on the West side of highway. I can't go to your run, but I'll just stop and say hi. So I said, hi, filmed the TikTok, scurried back to my apartment, had to go host this event with Outdoor Voices in Gold. Ran into Meredith, shout out Meredith, Illy, true CMOS girly. She was at the event, so it was like a pop-up at the store in Soho. We walked to Orchard Grocer, got this whole soft serve thing, went back to the Outdoor Voices store where like I used to work retail, if people don't know. So ran into a lot of former employees, a lot of gold people. And yeah, just like people that I've met on the internet, but I haven't met in real life. And so that was, it was cool. I think like I have been missing being a stupid bitch in Soho um, in the sense of like, I used two summers ago, I worked retail and I knew a lot of people that worked at Glossier and Chill House and all these different places. And so it's a Mecca. And it was also the San Girardino festival on Mulberry Street. Oh yeah, Mulberry is just like wild a whole different world I mean that place is already popping now it's like really popping yeah so I had to walk home through that and then I came back to my cave um you know Emma and I are ready to pod and then I pot I think I have a date later tonight Ah! hey um that is fun my day the day in life of the other CMOS girly yeah um 
as y'all know, I have picked up swimming again. I swam this morning, second day fish. in a row. Pardon? I said, I'm as a fish. Yes, I'm a fish. Um, yeah, I'm a fish. Um, so yeah, swam at like 845 this morning. City biked on over to Chelsea Piers. And yeah, swam. I kind of forgot how like exhausting swimming is. Um, my endurance, I have some improvement to do. Yeah. But my technique feels good. My butterfly stroke and breaststroke feels pretty on par. So yeah, my entire body just like so fucking sore. You love it. We biked on back over to my apartment and, you know, did the usual shit, laundry, grocery shopping, kind of getting my life together. Um, and that is my day, not as social. I feel like I have not been very social. Um, you're not missing much because I feel drained and I feel scattered and I have to do everything you listed tomorrow. So yeah, that's fun. Um, but I'm going on a date tomorrow. Um, so yeah, fun this is <laughs> yeah. You know, I've made a TikTok about this because I am a chronic overshare. It's just how my brain works. But you know, some things I don't know. Um, um, Kate and I also got interviewed by the Geneva people because they are hella impressed with our Geneva community. So shout out to the people on Geneva for just being incredible, awesome people. Um, we did shout a few people out in the interview. Um, if you're listening, um, you got to make a shout out because we love you and Anna Rice and Means, but also we love everyone. Um, but those are just, you know, the first people who come to our mind. Yeah. When we were asked on the spot. Um, so shout out if you're in Geneva, take a shot, if take a shot of magnesium, if you're still confused what Geneva is after listening to so many podcast episodes, it's in the description of every single podcast. It is our community platform. So go hang out with all the other CMOS girlies. If you're like, who are the other strangers that listen to the pod? That's where you link and build with everyone. Uh, yeah. Um, any like new recent, like food obsession, supplement obsessions, Kate? Ooh, um, I bought the milk cashew milk which is fine um got some we're back, we're back on hummus we are hummus era reborn um i've been putting hot sauce in my hummus to mimic the taste of the hot and spicy from abraham's <laughs> um because whole foods doesn't have the hot and spicy and also whole foods does not have hope hummus i came across the hope hummus thai curry um at like a health at lifetime the health store but i couldn't find it at any sort of market what about you um yeah back on hummus I got like the Ithaca brand they have this like buffalo ranch there's no dairy in it but very good has a nice kick um I bought bee pollen from Jules, so I'm back on bee pollen I also bought a new protein powder it's like the ancient nutrition brand um I think they're really known for like bone broth and collagen but they have a vegan protein powder pretty solid pretty solid um nice I've been back on my cricket protein Oh, hi. High improvement. Yeah. Human improvement. Hi. They make like single sachets, which is kind of annoying because I like the idea of having like a big vat. Oh, speaking of single sachets, um, on my little walk through Lower East Side, I found um, like emptied out athletic greens, like powder packets. And I was like, the chokehold this has on like Mark Hyman, all yeah. these other like health podcasts. And like, I've never tried athletic greens. And they're always like, it tastes so good. I'm like, I'm sure it actually just tastes like wheatgrass and ass. But yeah, um, yeah it was interesting to see that in person randomly on Rivington Street. I'm like, what? 
health person lives on Rivington. Yeah, that's fucking random. Sometimes in my building, I don't know who it is in the building, but sometimes there's like a weird spot near the garbage where someone throws out like products they don't want. One time there was all of this primal kitchen, like pre-made, like single serving, like protein mug cake things. And I was like, so you don't like, like, why do you have, maybe she got it as PRs. There's a P, maybe there's a PR girly in my building. Who knows? But there were like 12 single sachet of these like protein mug cakes. And I was like, do I grab one? And then I'm like, Ugh, grabbing food. Like, it's not, it's not strange where it's like on the street, it's in my building. It's yeah. not probably been spoiled, but I'm like, I'm not at the point of desperation where I need to take someone else's discarded food yet. Not, not quite, not quite. There. If I get banned from TikTok again, I might have to, but that's about it. Oh God. What a week. What a fucking week. Um, week, but today's episode. Yeah food on a warming planet, kind of talking about, you know, our favorite foods that we all, I think, probably take for granted and how they are going to get impacted by climate change. I feel like a lot of us just kind of think, you know, about climate change, like, oh, it's just going to be like hot. We're all just going to be sweating our asses like 365 days a year. But there's a lot lot more that is involved and goes into it. And yeah, like our food supply is going to be heavily impacted. And I think it's just important to shed light on it. Y'all love kind of like the more like political kind of climate change episode. So we figured, you know what? We'll give you guys what you want. We'll do another episode. The caffeine one was kind of a snooze fest. I'm sorry. We'll listen um, to the girlies. Some people liked it. But yeah, let's get into the shot. Beautiful intro. And we're going to talk all about food on a warming planet. The following message is brought to you by Scout. You've probably been hearing a lot about tin fish lately. Secuterie spreads have found their way across Instagram and TikTok, crowning tin fish as one of this year's hot girl foods. But tin seafood offers so much more than just an aesthetic. It offers traceability within the seafood supply chain, a reduction in food waste, and a heart-healthy, convenient protein source for its consumers. By consuming Scout's craft line of tin seafood products, ranging from Ontario rainbow, trout with dill, to smoked wild pink Alaskan salmon and olive oil, you're helping support local fishing communities, reduce food waste, and protect our oceans and waterways. Visit enjoyscout.com and use the promo code CMOS to save 25% on your first order of Scout. This promo will be available for one week after the airing of this episode. You know, Emma and I can't shut up about starting your day with the perfect oatmeal toppings. And you're probably thinking, what could be better than securing a bag of maca powder or matching with a boy who actually knows what adaptogens are? Um, hello, a large and juicy medjool date. That's why we're so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, Julie's. Julie's is a pantry staple for all the wellness gods. Their hand-picked medjool dates from Coachella Valley, California are certified USDA organic, naturally vegan, and free of all allergens. There is no better way to snack on Jolie's than with your favorite nut butter or on a bowl of oats. And Jolie's even has a date syrup to drizzle on a stack of pancakes. So if you want to taste some Jolie's for yourself, definitely use code CMOSGIRLIES for 15% off your first order. Now back to the show. Hey girlies, this wouldn't be a podcast called What the Fuck is CMOS without us having a CMOS sponsor. So it's time to learn what the fuck even is CMOS, thanks to our newest sponsor, 26th in Love. CMOS contains 90% of the minerals that the body needs. Some even call it nature's multivitamin. Crazy, huh? Here's just a preview at some of its benefits. Are you struggling with gut health? CMOS. Struggling with inflammation? CMOS. Struggling with adrenal fatigue? CMOS. Struggling with constipation? CMOS. You can use the code CMOSGirlies for 10% off CMOS gel from 26 and Love. Time to become a wellness god. 
Okay, food on a warming planet. So as Emma said, a lot of people, when we think of climate change, I think for me, my introduction into like caring about climate change was obviously through like the lens of veganism, which is like the individual consumer side, individual action side. But once you start to look at the intersections between climate change, I think there's this whole world that gets very overwhelming, but it's just like a much broader than thinking about like, we're losing the polar bears, the ice caps are melting. It's like, no, food is impacted, transportation's impacted everything is all a coherent system. So I have some information here. I work in climate stuff, so I'm gonna break down some climate jargon that I think is confusing because I think a lot of the reason that we haven't made political progress on climate change is because a lot of the information that is spewed out about it is really scientific and unaccessible. Like it's talking about global emissions. It's like the 1.5 degree versus two degrees warming. Like even after spending a lot of my academic career and personal life reading that literature, still does not make sense to me. So if you're just getting interested in like learning about climate, that that's like not even, I don't know, not even useful for me. Um, so when it comes back to like food and climate change, I think, as I said before, most of us think about the agriculture system. We think about the factory farms and like the vegan documentaries, like what were some of those called? Like, like sea spiracy, cow spiracy, like fooding. Yeah, there's another one. I, or not, not, not how not to die. That's more health related, but all these like vegan, like, yeah, you get the image I think of like animals being packed really closely on these like largely industrial farms, but it's so much more than that. We don't really talk about food production and like what is going to be lost due to climate change. So thinking of floods and droughts and storms, that is going to shrink our global food supply because one, it's gonna impact the agriculture. So the soil is gonna be much harder to farm crops on. The land is gonna be degraded. But then at the same time, our weather is just becoming more unpredictable. So if there's a flood that could potentially harm like even factories, even like manufacturing side of it or cause delays, like I've, that's, we were talking in Geneva about how like, oh, there's a sweet potato shortage. That could have been because let's say at the root of the problem, the agricultural system, let's say there was a low crop yield because of climate change. It could have been because there was a flood and they couldn't actually get the truck to deliver the sweet potatoes to your store, right? So it's better to think about, I think, food and climate on a systems basis than like this individual, like my potatoes are like, have this much of an emission standard, right? Like yeah. we all kind of think about like, yeah, cattle and animal protein versus plant protein, all that stuff I think is pretty obvious. But in this episode, we're going to talk about like food quality and crop yields. And I think it is like hard to kind of think about like everything like in the system because like everything feels like so distant. Like I think that's like why so many people it's like, yeah, we all know like climate change is an issue, but for a lot of people to like take it serious or actually like be like freak the fuck out from it, it's like hard to think about it because it's like, well, like I don't live in fucking like Ecuador where like they're growing the coffee beans. But I think it's like once you kind of get that like global perspective that like everything's connected and just because like you may not experience like some sort of impact right now, like in 10, 20 years, like you may not be able to buy your like $5 latte. And I think like that's the moment where like a lot of people, I think, at least in the US are going to like wake up and realize that like, oh shit. Yeah. Like climate change is real. Cause it's like actually impacting like my ability to like over caffeinate. Yeah. And along with that point too, I think a lot of people only think about climate change when it's in their backyard. So if they've experienced an extreme weather event, like a flood or a hurricane, but it's really sad because I think I was reading about, there's a book that's really good if you want to think about how um, like systems thinking, it's called Thinking in Systems by Danella Meadows. 
she's one of the top um, sustainability, like environmental, like psychological side of it. So for me, it was really hard to grasp. I think I felt very overwhelmed, like, oh my God, food and transportation and this, like, oh my God, I can't do anything. I'm an individual. That book really helps with grasping how systems all play in with each other. Um, plays out a lot of like hypothetical scenarios. It's kind of like a boring, boring, like scientific ebook, but I think it's very helpful in the frame of climate change. Um, so now we're going to get into, I think, like what food will be unavailable due to climate change, just because I think this will make probably the most sense, like getting right into examples versus talking about like lengthy science. Yeah. And also like, we kind of like kept this pretty like short and concise and like the main food group. So it's like literally like every, every single food, food group yeah. is going to get impacted by climate change because of like yield crops, flooding and everything. But kind of like the main ones that I feel like we are all probably interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And also to um, like water could be an entire podcast episode. Do we do an episode about water? Like, will that be a species? We talked about it. Right. But I think that's another like on an, like a factor that it's like, if water is fucked, every single food is needed, needs water to produce itself. So like, that's a huge thing. Um, a book that I've read that is kind of goes along with like this whole episode is called The Fate of Food by Amanda Little. And so she talks a lot. This is like how I think I started to like think about this podcast and I was like talking to Emma about it. Um, this book talks a lot about like the systems thinking when it comes to a warming planet. But it's very interesting with climate and food because when you think about energy, which is something that's very abstract and intangible for me to think about at least, the same greenhouse gases that are now threatening farmers are also produced by the farm, right? So these huge machines, these huge industrial processes use the greenhouse gases. And then that's also emitting greenhouse gases into the, the earth, like into the universe atmosphere. So it's like, fuck, they're both things are creating like twice as worse of an impact. Like, how do you even start about that? And food production overall, just as a statistic, is responsible for about 15 to 20% of the total greenhouse gas emissions globally, which is more than transportation. So if you want to listen to our previous episodes about food and climate change, we talk a lot about food miles and food transportation, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, the food took so far to get to me. Food miles actually are not that much of an emissions. It's a lot about how the food is actually produced and grazed. Um, but back to climate change, like the changes in production price and availability of grain, as Emma talked about, are going to affect the, the economics and efficiency of livestock specifically. And then that's going to correlate to like every other industry, especially processed food, because the feed is going to rely on feed grain. Um, so one little like nerdy thing about feedback loops, I'm going to break this down pretty quickly. So this is just kind of like an introduction, I think, into systems thinking about climate change. So if you really want to understand how climate change is going to affect us all in the coming decades, you have to understand what a feedback loop is. So going to little science politics lesson with Kate, bear with me. So the basics of climate change is when we burn fossil fuels to produce electricity, heat, and more, they're going to emit something called greenhouse gases. So this is like the scientific nerdy stuff, like CO2, methane, you hear that that's getting released into the atmosphere. They trap the sun's energy into the earth's atmosphere as heat. Okay, so just think about like the planet is warming, the planet's warming. But as more and more as this relates to the universe or the universe, the atmosphere, this is going to warm up the planet and it's disrupting the planet in long-term ways. And so our climate systems are very, very delicate. And that's why it is so critical that we have to stop it quickly. Um, now this introduces the concept of feedback loops. And this is kind of what freaked me the fuck out about climate change originally. So feedback loops are something that make the key climate factors stronger or weaker. And it's this cyclical chain. 
So basically a negative feedback loop is something that's decreasing the function. So like how our atmosphere and earth is functioning, just keeping it chill, working right now, a negative feedback loop is going to make that worse. So our planet is like less efficient, a lot hotter, a positive feedback loop, something's going to make it faster and faster. So like we're warming even faster than we were yesterday. So like, let's say you set something on fire and then it starts getting more and more on fire. Like if you have an image of like say a house burning down, you know, it starts in a very small way and then it accelerates really fast. That's kind of what a positive feedback loop is. And so it becomes this issue where climate change is creating this system of effects that's creating more and more climate change. So without regulating a negative feedback loop, it's going to spiral and spiral and create these changes in our climate system, what are called tipping points. This is where climate change gets really scary. And if you listen to any scientists talk about climate change is that when we hit certain degrees of warming and we create our um, systems of climate that have become so unstable, it's entirely unpredictable. So even those like really nerdy, like scientific models about how, what's gonna happen when the earth gets this warm, et cetera, we have no idea. If we lose ice, ice caps, we don't know what's gonna happen to the planet. Like it's really scary because it does become this level of unpredictability. And like, it's, it's crazy because it's like this white patriarchal dominant narrative where like, we believe that we have power over the earth. It's like, no, if we lose an ice clap, we are going to go, the earth is going to stay around. So we don't, we're not like more powerful than the earth's effects of itself. Um, feedback loops and how they affect our food access. This is just saying that like animal populations are going to have to adapt to climate change too. So when you think about like polar bears or salmon or any of the things we're going to talk about, the animals are already adapting to climate change, whether that be in how they're breeding or weird, like you know, when you look at, I feel like in um, kindergarten or elementary school, they always would talk about how the Great Barrier Reef is becoming endangered. Mm-hmm. All of these weird, like, hybrid species of animals because of climate change, because of the pollution in the Great Barrier Reef. So, like, if you're going to eat a fish and, like, suddenly the fish has three eyeballs tomorrow and it has, like, a tail, like, five tails coming out of it, like, that's going to affect our food system. And you may think, okay, well, that one type of fish, we're not going to be able to eat salmon, let's say in 20 years. But all of the people that were reliant on salmon, whether that be cultural or just like supply chain, how that affects the economy, how that affects how the entire grocery store is like created. That's why it becomes scary. Because when we think about food systems, I think for me, at least personally, now that I've like grown into thinking about like food as a system, at least we think about health, We think about climate-friendly food options. We also think about equity. And so when climate change is in the model, how the fuck are you going to address it all? Like, how are you going to address a warming planet and saying, especially all these like really out of touch, like health and wellness people that are like, everyone just needs to eat salmon and eat apples. It's like, okay, well, if salmon become unavailable due to climate change and apples are way too expensive, how are we going to address public health disparities, right? So that's why it is all a system. And that's why I think it's really critical to balance our global food system. Otherwise, everything is just going to become so dicey from a political standpoint. So that gets into our first food group, which is fish. Um, I wonder how many, if we did a poll of like the sea mouse girlies, how many people eat fish? I, feel I, don't like know. I feel like a, there's like a decent amount I feel like and I think a lot of people from what I've seen in conversation that like some people are considering eating fish um yeah. but even, even if you don't I think it's important to know about it and we also did an episode on like kind of like fish specifically and like climate change sort of and like how to source the most sustainable fish so if you are someone who does eat fish or you're interested in eating fish but you don't know like how to go about buying it listen to that episode good insight good info correct 
Um, so fishing, for example, from a climate perspective, it has less impact on the climate than other protein sources. So meat, all that type of stuff. Um, on the consumer side, like I was saying, we already did a podcast on this, but sustainable fisheries that meet a certain threshold are going to be vetted by this group called Marine Stewardship Council. And so they kind of overlook to make sure that I mean, they were founded on the, the intention of protecting fisheries from overfishing. Um, if you think of those, the visual image of those huge nets, just like grabbing as many fish as they can and like endangering fish species, they were founded on that principle that that's going to like fuck up the food supply chain and is really inhumane. Um, so they're like a standard that you can look for from like where you're sourcing your fish from. But next, when we think about like food that's going to be quote lost to climate change, um, some of the main ones are going to be cod and lobster in the New England region. And that's because ocean temperatures have increased faster and faster. So, you know, the water's becoming hotter, the fish have to adapt, and it's going to be a lot more difficult to get these fish. And another one that's really, really important, I would say, is going to be salmon. So I like did a bunch of kind of research into this because that's like, I think salmon's obviously promoted, I feel like, as one of the most healthy fishes, at least in like the health and wellness space. Um, so salmon live in obviously a freshwater stream. And with warming weather, the temperature of these streams is going to become so like unstable um, that the salmon are more susceptible to predators, parasites, and disease. So with hotter water, it like provides more opportunity for bacteria to grow. And there's this large mass of warm water um, on the Northwest coast of North America called the blob. And when nutrient poor, and this is where like most of the salmon that we get in the US is from, but it be, the blob has negatively affected marine life when now that it is like so nutrient poor and unusually um, warm in that area. And so also it's an issue where salmon are trying to swim their natural like waterways. I mean, I'm not like a fucking salmon farmer. I don't know much about how like salmon swim, um, but due to these like unhabitable like climate changes, um, the salmon are actually confused on how to find their way inland. And then you think about like the salmon supply chain, it gets all fucked up. Also with more um, CO2 emission into the atmosphere, it's causing ocean acidification, which I will define a little bit later, which is also going to impact the food chain. So migration is gonna be a really important part of the salmon's life cycle. There's this whole thing called the salmon run. And this is when salmon migrate from the ocean to where they spent their most of their adulthood in the streams. So that's kind of what I was talking before when they have to find their way inland. There's also an issue when it comes to us as humans. So with like dam construction, urban development plans that have not really been climate friendly policies. Now there's a way to do it that is climate friendly, but these have just been extremely destructive towards the salmon's um, natural habitats. They've hindered the ability for salmon to swim inland. And so that affects it because now salmon are not able to produce. And we also have these effects with climate change. And so plenty of cold water fish species are gonna be replaced by fish that are suited for warm waters. And that means that non-native species are going to disrupt these ecosystems. So that's when you think of like, well, why would we lose salmon? Because the salmon can't live there because now the water's too warm and these dams are in the way and they can't reproduce. Um, and the other topic of like fish at least is gonna be like ocean acidification, which I just like think of the ocean becoming like a random fucking color. Um, which is kind of true if you look on like a heat index map. So the ocean will sink, soak up different atmospheric heat and greenhouse gas, gases because it's like a sponge in its like form. And oceans play a huge role in climate dynamics because it absorbs 93% of the heat that accumulates in the Earth's atmosphere and a quarter of CO2 emissions from fossil fuels. And so, the, we've, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I talked about this, I think, in the first food and climate change thing when she ran for office. 
she had this whole climate policy called the Blue New Deal, thinking about how to use our oceans as a policy solution to address climate change. And so basically, if we treat our oceans like shit, it's going to be even worse because one, they're a solution, and two, they deal so much with absorbing the heat in our atmosphere. So if we fuck up like the earth or the oceans, we're not going to have anywhere else to absorb carbon, basically. Um, and then the last thing with fish is that I was talking about before these feedback loops where we don't really, we can't make accurate predictions about what's going to happen to the earth. Fish will change and this is called their adaptive capacity. So like whether that changes, let's say the fish, fish's nutrient profile, if the fish is healthy to eat, all of that stuff, we don't exactly know, um, just related back to like climate change in general. Yes. And the next one is coffee, something that everyone probably consumes every day and definitely takes for granted. And, um, you know, I feel like we've been slowly hearing that like, oh, you won't be able to like drink coffee in 50 years. Um, and so with coffee, high temperatures and like intense rainfall are bringing about like drought and also are increasing the range of diseases that can kill large swaths of insects that are essential in pollinating the coffee plant. And also with current like new weather conditions, it's increasing the likelihood of disease. There's something called La Roya, which translates to stem rust. And this is a particular fungus that basically dusts the leaves on like the coffee plants with like this rust colored spores. And they essentially prohibit the plants from photosynthesizing or producing the coffee berries. And in 2012 to 2017, nearly around like 2 million farmers were forced off of land due to coffee rust. And like where coffee is primarily, you know, being like harvested, grown and cultivated, like these areas, like they rely so heavily on coffee, like that's their main source of income. And so when there is a new type of fungus that is thriving in these new weather conditions, they are at risk from, you know, losing their jobs and basically, you know, not really having any source of income. And so it's predicted that by 2050, nearly half the land around the world that currently is used to produce high quality coffee will be unproductive and in certain regions possibly like higher such as like Latin America it's like 88% of their land will not be able to be utilized for growing coffee and there have been some like discoveries of like new wild versions of coffee plants that might be able to sustain um, these new weather conditions but obviously it's not going to taste like your typical um, coffee beans that you buy at the store. Yeah. And so really, you know, our daily cup of coffee will eventually become a luxury because there's going to still be a high demand for it, but very little supply. And I think like, again, remembering that like this all is going to impact us in like some sort of economic way. And again, like I mentioned earlier, coffee production is like the main source of income for those in Honduras, Vietnam and Colombia. And, you know, in those places, they're very sensitive and, you know, they may not have as many options compared to us. And so they're at risk of like income insecurity and food scarcity. And, you know, a lot of us in, you know, developed nations, like, you know, in the US, like we're going to be fine. Like if we don't get our coffee, like, you know, so be it. But like for these people, like impacts basically every other aspect of their lives. And it's just, again, going to create even more of a gap between like the haves and the haves nots and like who will be able to survive um, and like live through climate change. Yeah. And then the second or the third one, I guess, is chocolate. Again, another one that I feel a lot of people have heard about here and there. And so with the, the cacao or like the cocoa bean, it basically only really grows in warm and humid regions near the equator and largely in areas that are designated as rainforest. And again, with like rainforest, huge um, and like, you know, soaking up the carbon dioxide and whatnot. 
And with like, you know, deforestation in the Amazon, those areas are becoming threatened. And with the cacao bean, they need nitrogen-rich soil and lots of rain and steady temps in order to thrive. And so with cacao, it is mostly being threatened due to decreased humidity. And this is connected to the water cycle, which is something that isn't really talked about much. I think when we do talk about like climate change, it's just a lot about like, you know, rising sea levels, warming temperatures, but with the water cycle, um, as the globe heats up, certain stages of the cycle are going to become more erratic. And so there's gonna be, you know, more floods and more droughts, and these are gonna become more prevalent. And so in tropical environments, these rising temps eventually lead to an increased evaporation rates and thus decreased humidity levels. And so with that, current plots of cacao fields will have to be abandoned. And this really puts a lot of farming communities at risk. There is a group of people in South America known as the Quechua people, and they're the Aboriginal people of South America. And they practice traditional farming practices that have been passed down from their ancestors. And basically it's growing cacao in chakras, which are jungle gardens. And so through this system, they're incorporating the tree into existing rainforest, thus resulting in no need for deforestation. And so now with climate change, they are actually having to travel deeper into the jungle to harvest plants and changing weather just makes it naturally more difficult for them to even grow the cacao bean in the first place. And this is again, like their main source of income. And these farmers rely heavily on contracts with foreign distributors and like Europe and the United States for a large quantity of wholesale cacao. But now as prices are rising due to lower yields, you know, a lot of these distributors are flocking elsewhere for lower prices. And so in order to make ends meet, you know, these Aboriginal people who rely on ancestral practices that are, you know, doing good for the land, just like, you know, with like Native Americans, they know how to actually properly care for the land. They are now having to like, turn into you know clearing rainforest land to grow other crops so now these like you know traditional practices that they have been utilizing for years and years and years they are now are essentially being forced into like you know partaking in this like really like unsustainable like farming practice because we have all kind of fucked up the world and so like the high quality chocolate that we all know and love today i know us cmos girlies love our dark chocolate will become increasingly expensive almost to the point it'll be like as coveted as caviar and there will just be a shift towards low quality chocolate, such as like Hershey, which is like really not even chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's like the main like recap of like all the different, you know, main food groups, I would say. And just like thinking about like, okay, yeah, like we may not be able to buy all this, but I think specifically thinking about like the people who like cultivate and like grow these crops, like, you know, they're the ones who are going to get fucked over the most. And, you know, when they are doing everything with good intention, it's like, I think really, really hard and like unfortunate to think that like they can't even do this anymore. And like, they're not going to really have any like livelihood because again, of our fucked up practices. Yeah. And I think along that point, kind of tying into the next segment, um, when it comes to food and climate change, like Emma was saying, you know, it's humans at the other side that are growing our food that are producing this. And when a very unpredictable climate pattern comes their way, it's still someone, a human who is making your chocolate or making your whatever the fuck you want. They're not going to know, like, think about it, put yourself in those shoes of like, 
okay, my entire crop yield is fucked. What am I going to be able to do in 10 years? These predictions are so difficult to adjust your entire way of life to that it is so selfish that we can just continue to burn fossil fuels in like Western industrialized countries and just say like a big fuck you to everyone that's farming because yeah, we don't have the technology. We don't have the adaptations to once again, we're going to get this to the next section talking about like technologies because I kind of have some points about it because some people think like, great, we're all just going to go make, you know, farm raised lab, cell lab meat. We're all going to go live off that. Our taste buds are going to evolve. We're just going to have chocolate that was made out of a robot. But like once Emma was saying like, no, that's going to take entire peoples out of the economy and it's not going to be the same food that we know and love. You know, so that's not like, like all of those are like not even like addressing the root cause. It's yeah. like, why don't we like, you know, stop like, you know, tearing down the rainforest and stop polluting and stop using like fossil fuels. Like those are the real ways to address the issues. These are just kind of like band-aids to like slap it on and be like, oh, well, I guess this is how we're going to like solve it by like, you know, growing, like Kate said, meat in a fucking like Petri dish. Yeah. And it's like such a doomsday, like we've just given up on human ingenuity. And that's why I really hate this like technocratic approach to climate change that we're all going to have to move to Mars. It's just going to be like Wally. We say fuck you to the old planet. Like, okay, the people that can say fuck you to the old planet are going to be the top 1% that can go and flee to somewhere else when their house is devastated. Like that is not practical. It's not equitable. It's not just it's once again, producing the haves and has nots, like Emma said. So we're going to get into all the technology kind of talking about like, is any of it good? I know for me, my biggest questions with it is like, okay, from like a, 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 does it taste good health wise? Like, is this the same salmon? Like are our bodies just going to be used to like eating like three meals of soylent for our nutrients? Like what the fuck's food going to be like in the future? So that'll be the next part. Right. So after us two girl bosses um, looked into our notes of, you know, we, we do notes for podcasts. We're fucking professional over here on these streets. We decided that we're going to split this episode into two. So we're going to do an entire episode about food technology, whether it be farm raised fish, vertical farming, the impossible burger. Yeah, what all, the hell is lab meat? <laughs> yeah, all of the weird food inventions like freeze dried food, astronaut food, soy lent. We're going to do that its whole episode, just so we can get more of these food and climate change things, keeping on banging. Um, so to exit this pod, I think we're going to leave you guys with some solutions. Like this is some stuff, if you're a true OGC mouse girl, you probably have heard about or know about, but I think it's just uh, honestly like optimistic to think about the way that I think we can save the earth. Because for me, it with, you know, working in climate um communications and like politics if you're living in this politics of like doom that like we're all fucked we're all gonna die it's not really inspiring you to work on anything and I think the framework of like no I love the earth so much like I want to save it like I've been to a river and I've seen the salmon go in the water or I love this type of chocolate like I want to work hard to save it I think that's like a helpful framework to live in some people do really well in that nihilistic kind of like motivating thing but it's just not practical or enjoyable for me. So we're going to give you some policy solutions. Um, first one that's pretty obvious is food waste. Like we talked about this just in across episodes about how that's such an issue that especially in like Western industrialized countries, we waste so much of the food we produce, yet we have poverty and yet we have food scarcity, um, mostly in developing nations. And so that would be a huge thing that we already have at our fingertips that we're already fucking up that leads to inequality when it comes to food and climate change. 
The next one is like carbon sequestration. I'm not going to get too scientific-y because I don't think it's like helpful once again, but there's obviously a difference between demand and supply when it comes to like climate mitigation policies for food. And so obviously our brain goes to dietary restrictions changes that could lead to the reduction of GHG emissions. So that's going to be changes in like what we actually go and buy from the grocery store, kind of that consumer boycott thing. But the way that we tend to the land and specifically land use and like how we're thinking about carbon sinks and sequestering carbon, that's a way that we can also attend to climate change. And so for me, at least like the most visceral example of this, when I'm like trying to visualize what like fucking carbon sequestration is thinking about for deforestation, because um, forests and oceans are obviously like huge carbon sinks that suck up and um, help reduce our GHG emissions. And also too, like none of this is going to happen without the government and policymakers doing the right thing to incentivize farmers to do the right thing. Like it's a, it's a large system and it's no sm- small farmer is going to go do the really high labor, cost intensive, risky new farming technology to quote, save the earth, unless it's cost effective, unless the government is incentivizing that. And so I think it is on the role or on the um, part of government systems to really make sure that our farming systems are empowered to do the right thing. Like they have to adopt these practices, give them strict timelines and make it mandatory almost because no one's going to flip willy nilly and just like entirely switch how they manage their farm and manage their land use and all of that stuff. Um, Another one that can help with like distribution of food is going to be eating locally. So we talked a little bit about food miles in this episode, but if we made our food systems on a local level more efficient, more people could buy local. And like the, if we made farmer's markets more cost-effective, I know in New York, I wish I could buy everything from the farmer's market, but it's so fucking expensive. Um, if that was more equalized, a lot of people would shop local, then there's less demand for places like your big Whole Foods and your big you know, conglomerate stores where you're getting food from all over the world. And then the last thing that would be helpful to target inequality, at least, is like we have diminishing government safety nets while we also see these intensifying environmental pressures. So whether it be like we don't have universal health care in this country, we don't have paid leave, we don't have adequate wages that like a lot of people can't think about climate change because they do not have money on the table to afford food. We've talked a lot about like I think the, the bullshit of food choices, like quotation marks on choices that You can't tell people like you just need to go and buy your matcha um, because that's not equitable. And um, if we are thinking about like inequality from a government perspective, I think it makes sense that the government needs to create like targeted schemes to almost encourage these more resilient agricultural practices and then creating like poverty alleviation programs that so making sure that you're you're dealing with both like the people that are experiencing the droughts on their farms and such, and then also us and like our livelihoods and healthcare and, you know, equitable school policies and all of that shit. So it all ties together in a big, big thing. So, yeah. Yes. And the next part is regenerative agriculture. We touched on this in the other food and climate change um, episodes. If you want to listen to that, I like learned a lot about this through like Mark Hyman and like a few other books that I read. And this isn't really necessarily something that like we all will be able to fully partake in at like an individual level, just because like none of us are farming, but I do think knowledge is power. And granted, there are some issues with kind of like the whole concept of like voting with your dollar because who can actually partake in that or typically like the privileged 
and those who have, you know, greater disposable income, but the way that we can support regenerative agriculture is purchasing, you know, the regenerative agriculture, like beef or whatever, like anything that has like that symbol or whatever, when you're at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. But I think this is like a really beautiful way to kind of address a lot of like climate change and a lot of like the carbon emissions in a really like natural holistic way of just kind of like getting back to the basics of farming mm -hmm. because really this is like how farming was occurring for years and years and years until like you know the industrial revolution with like you know all the factory farming etc so regenerative agriculture is really like just a system of farming principles and practices and this like concept of like holistic land management that eventually just increases biodiversity, enriches the soil, improves watersheds and captures carbon into the soil. And there's kind of like main principles or I guess like rules to follow with regenerative agriculture. And it's like no-till systems, crop rotation, which is like a huge thing because a lot of um, farms, you know, just do monocrops where it's just, they grow, um, you know, just corn or just soybeans. And then the integration of livestock. And this has actually been proven to be actually more profitable it produces higher yields conserves water and increases biodiversity but the issue is that like so many farmers you know are kind of caught up in these contracts with like Monsanto and like have to follow like these like conventional farming practices that for them it's like scary because yeah they could risk like you know not getting subsidies from the government etc and um but with regenerative agriculture it's capturing carbon in soil and above ground biomass thus it's reversing the current trends of atmospheric accumulation and with uh, the livestock, how they come into play, their urine, manure, and saliva fertilize the soil and help build it um, to kind of be this like really great and rich soil. And so really no regenerative agriculture can exist without animals because they are so key in like the ecological cycle. And I think, you know, cattle and, you know, all types of like farm animals, I think they do get demonized. And I think it's largely because of like, the current trend of how they're being raised in like these like conventional feeding lots, but really like they are such like a key part of like regenerative agriculture and actually solving climate change. So I think there's a line that it's like not the cow, but the how. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, this is going to require like an entire shift in how we think about farming, especially with big ag and food, because they, you know, are the big money players and they have so much control over this entire system. And one issue or kind of like limitation is that it can take up to four years to regenerate land and bring it back to life. And that's just because of like the farming practices that are occurring right now have just like truly just like ruined the land, ruined the soil. And so in order to bring it back into like that really rich soil, it does take time. But there are there is some hope there's like, you know, General Mills, Nestle and Dannon they've all committed to shift their supply chain to regenerative agriculture. And so there are being shifts because I think really there is proof that it can be profitable, but this is definitely going to take like a very long time. And I think with addressing any type of like climate change issue, especially in relation to like the food supply, it is going to take a bit of like, you know, these like farming practices, but then also like this creation of new technology that Kate and I will get into in another episode. Cause I really think it's like, we've gone so just like far down on the deep end that it's like you kind of need both because I don't think we can truly just rely solely on like you know shopping local and like you know farming in normal ways so I know like large portions of the population like are not going to um accept that and some may be more willing and accepting of like newer technologies that you know can help in the reduction of like cows on you know the feeding lots etc yeah, and one thing I've been thinking a lot about after hearing this on a podcast episode with, it was on the Ezra Klein show, I don't remember the episode, I can look it up if anyone wants it, but they, he's a vegan and he's like 
push that from like a Paul, he's a policy wonk guy, but he was having on someone talking about like the impossible burger. Cause I think half of the food community is like, this is great because you are like that transitional piece where if someone is going to, let's say Dunkin' Donuts on a road trip in the middle of America, you're still able to eat a vegan option. It tastes very normal, et cetera. But he was making the case that these, you know, piecemeal technological technocratic things, which we'll get into in the next episode on food and climate, they're not doing enough fast enough. Like they're the scale of just saying like, by the time everyone is eating impossible burgers, we'll finally get, you know, the, the bad big ag meat out of the food supply chain. By that point, we're all gonna be dead of climate change. Not dead, not to scare everyone, but we're gonna see huge disastrous, once again, get into these feedback loops where we don't know if anything's possible. So that's why it is. it does make a lot more sense to actually address the root of the issue. Like Emma was saying in the earlier segment that like, if we don't address how we're taking care of the land and water and animals and workers and all of that, none of these like bullshit little like pea protein hybrid milk fish from your butt like cell will matter. Like none of that is actually going to do enough at the scale that we need. And so while it's like, go, yeah, go get your impossible burger if you want for your little social event, that's not like the way to think about the scale of climate change. So I'm excited. We'll do that episode soon, possibly next week, if we want it next week, or we can do it whenever we want, because this is our show. Yeah. We don't fucking know when you guys will get that episode. It could be next week. It could be in four months. Um, it's just really whatever us two girlies are vibing with that, that week that we pod record. Yeah. Um, we have some other ideas in the works, obviously, because we're two girl bosses. Maybe we'll do one about toxic wellness bloggers. We'll do one about gluten-free diets. We could do one about what other topics do we have? Um, I don't even remember. We're too busy out here in these streets. I always think, like, I forget about the lifestyle kind of episodes. I know those ones, people really like them, but I'm like, I live like a fucking robot. Like, what else is there? Like, could be doing. If you guys like actually watch from like a bird's eye view how Kate and I live our lives, you just be like, damn, (laughs) these girls like are losers. Yeah. Speaking of our lives, what else you got on the docket today? Um, you know probably take some more steps um that is about it try to drink water yeah water is a struggle grateful to have access to water but you know sometimes it's just a little bit boring of a bev for me um the new moon juice ting they like sent it to me or whatever that has actually been helping me drink water I've definitely been having like more than like you know whatever the serving sizes that they have on their little label but you know, flavored water really does save. What is the flavor of Tang again? I haven't gotten it's it. It's like mango slash like papaya. Um, I think it's like sweetened with monk fruit extract, perhaps. I could be wrong, but it like doesn't taste super artificially, like, you know, sweetened, okay. which I enjoy. Okay. Um, you know, it's a nice, pleasant change. Life, life, vibes. I was going to say life. Um, I haven't gotten my Tang yet, but as soon as we do, we have some exciting meme Meme workings with Moon Juice. Shout out Moon Juice. Apparently, this is for CMOS girlies. I mean, obviously, if you're a CMOS girlies, it's a fucking pod. But I was on a phone call with um, someone from Moon Juice, and they were like, Amanda Chantal Bacon loves your guys' memes. She'll just bring them up in the middle of a work week call. Like, did you guys see the one about melatonin and magnesium? And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we have a founder. Like, if you would have asked me a year ago, the founder of Moon Juice, don't give me POV, Kate, you're going to be making memes. You're going to have an Instagram meme page. The founder of a wellness company is going to be giggling. Some hippie woman in, where does she live in California? 
like I don't know, just somewhere in California. Just vibing in California with her like children, feeding them like dirt shots, respectfully. Um, but yeah, she's gonna be laughing at your memes. I would say, what parallel universe is that? <sighs> girls, so girls and boys and gays and days and thems and anyone in between. Uh, chase your dreams. You never know what you're gonna be. Maybe you're gonna be making memes like us one day. Um, but also, you probably won't because we're the superior meme makers. Yeah, please, please pack it up if you're trying to copy our empire. It's embarrassing at this point. Um, and we'll end um, on that. Yeah. Happy note. Uh, thanks for listening to the shot. Uh, leave us five stars in the Apple Review Store. It really makes Emma and me have some serotonin when we're down and low. <laughs> um, love you, Seamoth girlies. Bye.